0: So, friends, nine weeks ago, we began our summer-long sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. And my hope has been that it has given some form to a time in the church calendar that sometimes doesn't have a lot of form, right? That whether you've been able to be here each week or you've needed to catch up via the recorded live streams, um, that you have had the chance to journey with this Idlewild family as we have navigated what it means that within each and every single, single one of us, and actually indeed within all creation, are these fruit. I was spending some time hanging out with the Potter family uh, last Sunday afternoon, and I got to hear Blythe recite that passage from Galatians from memory. Um, my hope is that, that maybe, perhaps, that has become a part of your memory as well. It could be a reminder, not just this summer, but as we move forward, of what it is, that we bear within us, that God is calling us to bear in the world. Now, this all began, of course, with the story from the beginning of Acts 2. We're going to read from verses 37 through 47 in just a moment. They might be up on the screens already there. Um, But before we get to that, we need to remember what we celebrated together on May 23rd of this past year. We celebrated the day of Pentecost, And so we together gathered and we remembered and we celebrated that some years ago there was a a group of followers of Jesus Christ who had gathered in a place together. It was only a few days after Christ had ascended into heaven and they gathered and they had a whole lot of different emotions in that gathering, but something happened while they were gathered together. Acts 2, at the beginning of this chapter, it tells us that as they were gathered together, there was a rush of wind. It sounded like a violent wind that swept into the place where they were gathered. And something began to happen amongst them. Each of them began to speak in a language that wasn't their own, but it could be interpreted clearly by everyone. So that, that at that gathering on Pentecost, there were people speaking in tongues that were not their own. They were hearing in tongues that were not their own. It could be understood perfectly. Can you imagine being a part of that gathering, a part of that story? People were left in awe. They were left in fear. They were left with questions. The chief one amongst them was, what does this mean? It's the question that the early church had to ask when this thing they couldn't understand happened to them in their gathering. It was awe-inspiring. Some chalked it up to God's work amongst them. Others chalked it up to them being early morning drunk. Others jeered and said they are drunk on new wine. And so in response to that, Peter stands up and we hear his first sermon. This Peter, who at once can claim Jesus as the Messiah and then deny him three times, this Peter that on our best days we're probably Peter and on our worst we are as well. This Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon and it's a a fiery one. And then he ends it this way. This Jesus, this Jesus God raised up and of all and Of that, all of us are witnesses, everyone who's gathered here today. We all know that it happened because we witnessed it together. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out, he has poured out this Spirit that you may see and hear. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know that with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's how he ends his sermon, this fiery sermon to those people who think that it's it's drunkenness that's led to this happening. Peter is saying, God is real. God has come near in the person of Jesus Christ. And even though we collectively tried to erase this Christ erase God from our story and our history, God has indeed showed her power in raising Christ from the dead. Even now, God lives, Peter tells them. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, verse 37. We get to hear their response. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day, about 3,000 people were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God And having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Beloved, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. So in the response to the proclamation of the good news of God that Peter gives to these people, the response is a question. We don't hear it in the text, but but it is asked. What should we do? And the answer is be baptized, Peter says. Mark yourselves with this change that you know has happened in the world, that we have seen happen and we have attested to you. Mark yourself with the change, the transformation. The good news that has has been proclaimed to them in verse 39 is that the promise of God is for them. But it's not just for them. It's also for their children. And indeed, it is for everyone near and far. It is is the good news for everyone that God calls to God. Do you notice how inclusive that good news is? No one's left out. Everyone's invited. That's the good news that resonates with the people of God in that moment. So that many are baptized. Indeed, 3,000 are added to their number that day. Everyone whom the Lord has called. And we get a glimpse of that this day. And in hearing this proclamation from Peter and in being baptized, they continue to ask, how are we to faithfully respond? And the scripture says that they did a number of things. The first is that they devoted themselves. Do you hear that? They devoted themselves first to the apostles' teachings. As the scriptures were open to them, they decided that learning from Holy Scripture, having it proclaimed to them, was something that they would devote their lives to. But they also devoted themselves to something else, fellowship. First, 42 says they devoted themselves first to the apostles' teachings, then to fellowship, uh, to the breaking of bread. They gathered around table together, and then they finally prayed together. They devoted themselves to being a people of prayer. And what happens next is inspiring stuff. Verse 43 says that many signs and wonders were done amongst them. Many signs and wonders were done amongst them, and the response to these signs and wonders by the gathered people is that awe came upon everyone. Now here's the thing, beloved. We don't get the specifics of the signs and the wonders that have taken place, but we do get the collective response of the, of the people of God, and it is awe. There's no need to explain They simply sit back and they understand in that moment the awesome power of God at work in their lives and in the world. Can you imagine being a part of that story, a part of that scene? Can you imagine hearing Peter's sermon and being so inspired that you wanted to be baptized, that you wanted to gather and devote yourself to to teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread together and to prayer? Can you imagine how inspiring that must have been that awe would fall upon each and every single one of us? Beloved, when we truly have an experience of God as these people did in Acts 2, awe is the right and faithful response. And while we don't know exactly what it is that happened amongst the Christ followers, we do know this, that whatever happened was powerful for them. It was transformational for them, and it was awe-inspiring. And because of that, things begin to shift, first within them and then in the community around them. Scripture says because of this experience, they become more generous. They become more concerned with their community, the community around them. They start spending a lot of time together, making fellowship a priority in their calendars amongst all the other things. Can you imagine all the other things they need to do? And yet they make it a priority. They decide they're going to eat meals together. They seem to understand that something happens around the table that can't happen anywhere else. And then scripture says this. They praise God together. They lose themselves in song and in prayer and in meditation. The spirit of God which had made itself known on the day of Pentecost, started to do something in their community. The Spirit of God, as they start to do all these things, become more generous, they they start spending a lot of time together, they start eating meals together, they start praying together and praising God together. As they start doing this, Scripture says that people begin to be drawn to them. Something about what they are doing and the way in which they are being community is invitational. To people outside of that community. The Spirit connects them as a body with people who need the message of the good news. God did this, the Spirit did this, not so that that group might be glorified, but so that all might experience the transformational power of God at work in the world. God did it so that people might experience transformation, the people themselves in that community, but then so that the community around them might be transformed. God God doesn't give the gift of the Holy Spirit to the people of Pentecost just so that small group of early followers might be transformed, but so that the whole community the whole world might experience it. As the mystic John O'Donohue says, the the gifts that are given to us as individuals are not usually meant for us alone, but are actually for the community and to be offered. Can you imagine being a part of of a community like that? The one that, that we Hear the author of Luke Acts write about this many years later. Can you imagine being a part of that story? A part of a of a community so vital and vibrant that people are drawn to it that there is something going on so powerful in the midst of that community that people say, I need and want to be a part of that. Can you imagine what it must have felt like to be in the neighborhood around that community and to be able to notice things are changing? There's something happening there. I haven't walked through the doors of that place, although I've driven past it a thousand times, but I need to go and see what's happening When we started our study of the fruit of the Spirit, I told you that I believe that if we could embody these gifts of the Spirit of God, not only would we be changed, but the community around us could be transformed. I very much believe that to be true. I believe it because our scriptures reflect this story from 2,000 some odd years ago of a group that when gifted with the Holy Spirit of God began to change and shift in ways that were life-giving, not only to them, but to the community around them. So, beloved, I have a spiritual practice for us this morning. I want you to, I invite you to close your eyes for a minute. If you're sleeping, you're already halfway there. So close your eyes just for a moment. Imagine with me, it is 50-some-odd years from now, and you're standing on the other side of Union Avenue, and you're looking at Idlewild Presbyterian Church, what does it look like in your mind's eye? What's the grass look like? What are the stones that make up its foundation? What do they look like? In your imagining, I want you to think about a group of folks gathered in the garth. I want you to walk across Union and and walk up those steps and sit with them in a circle on that grass. I want you to imagine that they are doing a study. It's actually a a history of Idlewild Presbyterian Church. They're they're looking back some 50-odd years, and they start talking about this group of followers of Jesus Christ that God had seen fit to call to the church in 2021. You sit down next to them, and they start talking about us. They say this group, they were navigating a pandemic. They were figuring out what it meant to be community, both virtually and incarnationally with one another. To be honest with you, they didn't know what that community was going to look like on the other side of the pandemic, but they did believe that God was at work within them. And then they did something. They devoted themselves to learning together. To studying scripture together. They, they had a great history of doing that, but, but some had fallen out of that practice. They devoted themselves once again to the story of God. They said that there is something deep and abiding in the value of this ancient book of wisdom literature that we can learn from, that can transform us in our community. And then they devoted themselves to fellowship. They made it a priority amongst all the other schedules that vouched for their attention they made it a priority to show up and to be with each other. They sat around table together in small groups, but also on Sunday mornings. They shared meals at their homes and at restaurants. And, and then they did something else, something that some of them were really comfortable with and some was brand new to them. They, they started praying together. Some of them felt very comfortable in praying. Others had to learn their particular practice, but they communed with the divine in prayer First on their own, and then with their families and people that they loved, and then with the greater church community. You can go ahead and open your eyes if you haven't already. They continue teaching, though. The teacher in the Garth that day says, some people were excited for this journey. They jumped right at it. They were ready. They'd been waiting for a long time. But others were skeptical. They kept repeating the worn-out line, but we're the frozen chosen. Until by God's grace, they realized that that old mantra was a big fat lie, meant only to dull their experience of the divine, abdicate their responsibility to their community, and lessen their expectations that God might actually do something within them and around them. And so they thawed out and they started bearing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And here's the crazy thing. Something started happening. Signs and wonders started happening amongst them. Some could be explained. They were rather cause and effect. But still others were beyond expectation and explanation. Regardless Everyone was amazed by what took place. Awe fell upon everyone in that year. And they realized that the promise was for them, but not just for them, it was for their children and for everyone to whom the Lord God had called. What does this place look like in 50 years? In your mind's eye, has it changed? Has it been transformed? Beloved, can you imagine being a part of the story that is told some 50 odd years from now? Because you can be. It's the invitation of the Spirit of God to you and to me this day. It's the invitation of that Spirit rushing in like the rush of a violent wind. It's the invitation of of hearing different voices hearing them clearly it's the invitation of a preacher emboldened from having seen resurrection happen emboldened to to call for people to be transformed and then to mark themselves as transformed it's the invitation for you it's the invitation for your family it's the invitation of our church community can you imagine being a part of that story the invitation of the very Spirit of God at work within us to recognize first that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, they live within us, and we are called to bear them out into the world. Can you imagine the change that would happen in a community within our community, when we commit to believing and bearing these fruit in the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Mother of us all. Amen.